0: I am a sick man. I am a spiteful man. I am an unattractive man. I believe my liver is diseased. I felt them positively swarming in me, these opposite elements. They drove me to convulsions and sickened me. I did not know how to become anything, neither spiteful nor kind neither a hero nor an insect. Now I am living out my life in my corner, taunting myself with the spiteful and useless consolation. Even if I had had magnanimity, I should only have had more suffering from the sense of its uselessness. It is only the fool who becomes anything. The whole principle falls into dust. Tom and Steve listen to the spirit of the age. All they hear is Notes from Blunderground.
1: Thank you for joining us today on Notes from Blunderground. My name is Tom, and I'm with my wingman, Steve. How you doing, everybody? Well, today we are going to continue our series on the boy crisis. Uh, this will be part four of our series. And what I want to do today is I want to talk a little bit about media literacy. Uh, we've talked before about unspoken assumptions and about uh, how powerful they are, how assumptions are more powerful than assertions. Yeah. Uh, because many times they're unspoken, and we do use the term presupposition. But this is not just something to talk about. It's something that you can build and use in a real way. Uh, A lot of ways, uh, a lot of times, it's when you're either reading a news article or you're speaking with an individual. And so today, I want to kind of look at the news article aspect of it. I want to take a look at a couple different articles, one out of the Wall Street Journal and another one out of the New York Times. And so these are articles that deal with uh, with men and with men's struggles. And the articles are not necessarily bad but i do want to point out how you can how you can pull out unspoken assumptions and how you can you can frame establish a frame around any discussion that you might have with these articles hmm. uh but before i do that i wanted to talk uh about a uh, a german uh political philosopher uh and uh his name is Carl Schmidt. you ever heard of him steve
2: uh, i've heard of him yeah i didn't um I wasn't too familiar with uh, like his famous quote or whatever that the article mentioned, but yeah, I've, I, I've heard of him. Sure,
1: yeah, the uh, he's a. Uh, it, it, it's interesting. He's um he's uh, oftentimes he's associated. He's known as a Nazi. Yeah, uh, you know because he was heavily involved in the party, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, and like we've spoken about before on the program. We always attack the idea, not uh, the person. We always, uh, not necessarily attack, but we engage the idea and not the person. uh, So we don't try to conflate the two. And one idea that Carl Schmitt had that I think is really relevant here Mm -hmm. is his ideas on sovereignty, okay? On being a sovereign. Uh, And this is really important because as Christians, Steve and I, we believe that God is sovereign. That's it. Uh, Yeah, and so, uh, but uh, Schmitt, applied sovereignty to uh, to governments uh, and uh, to politics. And so it, I find it really useful and really fascinating to see how he defined it.
2: Yeah, he kind of, me put
1: it in the secular version. He kind of, you know, in a way, I can see that point, but in a way, I, it really counts, I think, uh, not only towards the secular, but also uh, towards God. See, Carl Schmitt basically said that to be sovereign, who is sovereign, right, in a culture or in a state, in a society, or even in the world? Yeah. The person who is sovereign is the person who gets to set the exception. Right.
2: So basically, the person who can pump the brakes on the entire judicial system or whatever the system is that governs that society.
1: Yeah, pretty much.
2: Yeah. He's, I mean, I think it, the quote word
1: for word is, he who decides on the exception.
0: Yeah, yeah, Yeah.
1: it's, it's, it really, it's about deviant behavior, right? Like what is deviant versus what is not deviant? And so, um, okay, so for example.
2: Yeah, like what do you mean? Because the first thing came to my mind was like, I was thinking the president, you know, or whatever, or whoever can institute, you know, martial law. Mm. That's kind of like the first thing as an example that came to my mind. So, so what do you, what do you mean?
1: Well, a lot of it, so for example, have you ever observed in, um, in our political discourse or maybe even on social media, how, uh, and this happens a lot on Twitter. All right. It happens a lot is when something, someone does something that's bad or that's distasteful. Mm-hmm. There's always this call. Usually it comes from the left to the right. Okay. Uh, and, uh, I found it today. It kind of sparked my mind on it because of the, um, of, uh, today's events, uh, with Kanye West. Uh, Oh boy! So uh, I believe so. Um, so not that I'm now I'm not an expert. So I, I certainly, heard he got taken off the platform. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to speak to uh, to it because I'm not an expert. So I'm not trying to speak as an expert. But from what I understand, so Kanye went on the Alex Go- the Alex Jones show. Mm-hmm. He went on Infowars. Yeah, uh, and so um, I, I, he went on Tim Pool previously, and then that went south really quick, and he left. And so uh, the, he went on, and then he couldn't get on Twitter. So he went on Infowars, and he had a big show, and, um, well, anyhow, let's just say it didn't really go that well. So, you know, Jones came off as the... He came off as the voice of sanity, okay So like, oh uh, yeah, like Alex Jones was like, whoa, <laughs> he was the voice of reason. yeah. He was like, let's <laughs> slow this down here, Let's slow our roll, like really let's think about what we're saying, you know, and that's Alex Jones.
2: Alex Jones is coming off as the voice of reason. Yeah, <laughs> I don't right. Know who he's got to be sitting next? To. No,
1: no kidding, no kidding. And so this this kind of really brought about that uh, kind of a Carl Schmidt kind of a um, exception. who gets to set the exception situation? Because okay. a lot of times the left will say to the right. this happened a lot with Trump. Right. So when what happened a lot with Trump is Trump would say something crazy or something like he would say, uh, he would say, well, we're going to gather up all the Mexicans and we're going to throw them out the country. And then uh, maybe the next day, you know, Kaylee or somebody would come out and say, well, President Trump didn't really mean that. What he meant was he really loves them all and they're great people. Right. (laughs) So and then what would happen is uh, the left comes over to the right and it's always a request. This okay? They always you, you have to punch in your own direction and then you have to acknowledge in the opposite direction. So, let's say, for example, that you're a conservative, right? You always are, you're always told, okay, by, by, by your enemy that you must punch towards your ally and then acknowledge towards your enemy. So, in this situation that I'm referring to, like on social media, you would have leftists that would go to conservatives and they would say, you need to go to all of your people and you need to say, hey, guys, I don't agree with Trump. I think that uh, Mexicans are good people, and uh, I want to let you know that that's where my position is. Like, I'm anti Trump when it comes to throwing out Mexicans, you know? So, and then you have to simultaneously turn around, and then you have to acknowledge the action to the enemy. So you have to turn around, and then you have to say to the leftist, hey, are we cool? Like, I've done what, you know, I've gone, I've acknowledged it, like we all, you know, Mexicans are good people, (laughs) And, and, and all this. So there's always this, there's always this desire, like on social media, you have to punch towards your own direction, then turn around and acknowledge. Now, I guess this would all be fine if everybody played by the same rules, but... When Kanye West went on Infowars, things didn't really go... <laughs> that dude makes his own rules. <laughs> uh, boy, who, you're talking about what, uh, Alex Jones or Kanye West? <laughs> right. right. <laughs> exactly. Right, yeah, right. No kidding. Man, I'll tell you. Yeah. Uh, the uh, Yeah. Uh, uh, the, you know, oh, we'll I'll do it on digital. We'll do it on digital someday. I'll uh, I'll have to share. Uh, I'll have to pull out some things out of my bag of tricks. some i uh, would be a great uh, little show down memory lane. Hmm. So, anyhow... When Kanye West went on Alex Jones, now the conservatives kind of wanted to throw this back on the leftist because what they can do is they can look at the leftist and say, okay, so what you need to do is do you need – because a lot of leftists back in 2017 and 2016, I guess, and I'm not speaking as an expert, but I guess they were really pro-Kanye. Maybe you could speak to this more than I could.
2: I, I – yeah, my memory serves me correct. I, I believe they were, and then – you know, things got worse
1: the more yeah. they supported Trump. <laughs> so they uh, there was a lot of leftists that really supported and lifted up Kanye, and they really, uh, they backed him. And so a lot of conservatives were saying to the leftists, hey, you need to go to your people, and then you need to say, hey, you know, Kanye's off his rocker, and this is all bad stuff, and, you know, we're all we're all on the same team. And then when you're done you need to punch left and then turn around and come to us and then you need to come to us and acknowledge, hey, you know, like, we, we were wrong about Kanye and, you know, this, you know, and acknowledge it mm-hmm. just like they want from the right. So, needless to say, this didn't happen, okay? And it resulted in a lot of of uh, of, of, um, of rhetoric, nasty rhetoric, and a lot of culture war back and forth and, the, you know, leftists didn't really want to do it. And so this kind of sparked uh, my thought about Schmidt, all right, because, to Schmidt, he he says, the sovereign in a in a body politic is the one who gets to decide the exception, and so in in the case of Trump, in the case of uh, in the case of Trump, or in the case of of any other uh, uh, say for example a right uh, person on the right, uh, or when Kanye is on the right, then it's always it's never the exception, but when it comes time for the leftists to have something that they need to to do it for then it becomes the exception right so then or so or then it becomes so then it becomes the exception it is, is more close to the normal why is that though well we see this as well with the ftx scandal and uh and so you you see the uh with the bitcoin uh, that we see now he's going on all these shows now and uh he's actually lost he's lost billions and billions of dollars of uh, people's life savings and he's actually getting kid glove treatment. He's going on these shows. But then basically, um, you know, you have uh, people like George Stephanopoulos are, are giving him softball interviews. Right. And people like Maxine Waters are blowing and kisses, and, yeah. and, and and I mean, they're really giving them a kid-glove treatment.
2: Well, the establishment's not just in politics. The establishment's literally in everything, entertainment, media, uh, everything.
1: Yeah, right. No, yeah. exactly. But it's always—you always, you always yeah. have to look at the gatekeepers and that, look at Yeah, how, that's what gives them the ability is the gatekeepers. Yeah, and they use that gatekeeping ability to determine what the exceptions are. Right. Exactly. So exactly. So therefore, they always set the frame. Now— we could, always, we could just put a bow on this, and we could call it good and say, well, if you're on the right, then you're never going to have a shot because you don't have any of that power to set the frame. You can never um, set the exception. Yeah. However, you do. Yep. Because you can always slow it down, and you can always start challenging people's assumptions. So, uh, yeah, so just looking at you can look at these. So you got to slow it down. You have to look at the unspoken assumptions and really look how to draw it out. And so today what we want to do, uh, we've been talking about uh, boys and men. And so we have two articles that I've chosen. And So I'm going to have uh, my wingman Steve here. He's the man with the golden voice. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to have him go ahead and, and read it out. <laughs> and we'll uh we're gonna uh, i'm gonna call out some of these uh assumptions now I'm not necessarily looking to win okay I'm not looking to uh, I'm not looking to uh to break down or, or to beat someone up i'm really just looking to slow things down and i want to i want to i want to call I want to call those first principles out, all right? I want to bring it back down, and in, in, in Notes from Underground, we talked about this, the third principle, the, the second principle, and the primary principles, right. secondary principles. So we want to try to—we we, we may go all the way back to God. We, may, we might not have to, all right? So there are other assumptions that people hold that you can learn to see, and once you see them, then you can engage them. So we're going to start off—this is a, an, an article from yeah. the uh, Wall Street Journal. Is that right?
2: Yeah, so— uh, it's called being a cheap date is suddenly a major plus. So just the title of this, I was excited to read it anyway. Just, well, it, not for the reasons you may think. There was uh, back when I was in the army. There was a time that somebody had uh, made a made a joke about being a, a cheap date. It had to do with that. We'll get into that on uh, the <laughs> Digital Blunderground at some point. it is It's just a really funny comment. But either way, the title grabbed my attention. So it says. Looking for love has always been emotionally draining. Now, it will also drain your bank account even more than it used to. That's why many daters are increasingly pushing back and embracing frugality. It's a necessity for some, with the price of restaurant meals up 17% and alcoholic beverages away from home up 12% since the pandemic.
1: All right, I'm going to stop you right there. So, here we have our first unspoken assumption here, okay? And it comes in the form of two words. What
2: do you the, mean? No, you can verify alcohol prices. Well, you can, but uh, we have- <laughs> You're not talking have, about
1: that. No, no. We have two <laughs> words here. So, the first word is many, and the second word is some, all right? So, these are uh, these words have are, are uh, vastly subjective. Okay. And they're used by journalists uh, to indicate – when journalists don't have data, right? Yeah. Yeah, when they don't have data – Generalized statements, here we go. You got it, right, exactly. So whenever you want to say something definitively but you don't have anything to back it up, you always want to use broad terms like many and some. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Trump does this on the right. You know, he'll say mm-hmm. uh, many people are saying that the, the polls are all Republican, they're all red. You know, many people say uh, – they, they say that Donald Trump is the best politician of all time. Yeah. Many. Many, many people, right? Yeah. So he he'll, he'll, he does the same thing. And that's one of the reasons why people love Trump is because Trump was one of the first people to do it. And when Trump says things like many, many people, right, and he, he gets that, that nasal... It just sounds like a lot. Well, no, it does, but he's also, he's not. He's attacking the left. You see, this is why Trump became like, the, he became like the guy for like all the edgy meme lords on the internet, you know, because they they look at him and they say, th- th- he gets to do like what they all would do, you know, like in a, a snarky, like if you can get it snarky with your teacher, with your classmates, that's what Trump does to the left. He goes on like, a, you know, he goes on a, one of these MSNBC shows and then he forces the guest to like be wicked nice to him. And then afterwards he ambush them, you know, like he'll do it, but he does it and he does it intentionally and he doesn't hide it. Yeah. Good at it. Oh, he's very. Oh, he's very good at it. Yeah. You know, it's funny. That's one thing. Uh, it's um, uh, it's hard hard to do. I I don't know if they're all gathered together in one place, but he, his um, you go back. I think Michael Malice did this recently, uh, and uh, he probably deserves a purple heart for it. Uh, but he went back and he went from about 2012 to about 2014, and he categorized like he went through all Trump's tweets like from like 2013. Oh man. Oh, that was like it. That was like a golden year wow i mean wow i mean that was like trump at peak i mean that was like peak trump that is a lot to go through it it is a lot because he tweeted a lot makes my editing job seem easy oh man but then he's got he has so many tweets back then oh thank you and uh so many tweets back then and trump would tweet things he would say like people would say uh people would say oh well uh you know uh, uh uh this i i uh you know, they'd say, uh, uh, you, you're like, a, you're a, a total scumbag, you know, or, or you must be a, or, you know, your wife must hate you, you know. And then Trump would say something like, like, well, you know, my wife doesn't always get along with me all the time. But at least she's not stuck with some loser like you.
2: <laughs> oh, he threw money in people's I mean, face he, at one point. Would, not, not like, literally And then he's
1: he's talking to someone with like 10 followers, you know, like just some person on the Internet and yeah. he's like he would say the most like he, and it would just he would engage like random people at random times and just say the most outrageous things. You know we all know that money does stuff to people. I mean Kanye West, I mean I was reading about it today. Like Kanye's got more I mean his money his money's broken his mind. I mean his his mind's totally broken now and and like his his money's just sending him to this place. But I was reading about it today like Kanye because I guess he he just uh and like again, I'm not the expert, but he just settled, I guess, with Kim Kardashian, and they got divorced, I think. Mm. And so, anyhow, but like with all the settlements that he's made over the years, like he pays out like fifty six thousand dollars a day, yeah, uh. like every day. Huh. And, and that's like one type of entitlement. It's not that's not the total either. That's just like just straight. I think that's just straight to Kim. So I, I think then there's other stuff on top of that. Yikes. So he's got like like he's paying Kim Kardashian $56,000 a day and that's 7 days a week 365 days a year. See? Talk talk about
2: men culture just going down the tubes. Oh man, like why? Wow. I told you. It's like, surprising
1: if a guy walks into a divorce court and doesn't walk out paying alimony. Man, I like but I I just like the amount of money that comes in and leaves like like most people are not going to like won't make that in a year, you know? Like, you think? Right, they're never gonna, you know, they're never gonna hold that in their hand. No, and like Kanye West got like got this money coming out every day, you know, like it's just crazy. All right, so hey, let's go ahead and hit up the uh,
2: second paragraph in this article. All right, yep. So continues for Tyler Sandoval, asking someone on a second date used to mean shelling out for a fancy sit-down dinner. These days, he's more likely to suggest drinks, small bites, or even cooking at home. Mr. Sandoval also says it's easier to end the date early if it isn't working out during drinks. You don't want to make a huge investment in someone you don't know, says the the 32-year-old Boston email marketing consultant. You also don't want to assume someone else wants to make a huge investment in you. Los Angeles-based dating coach Julie Spira says... I'm going
1: to go ahead and stop you here. Okay. That's okay. So uh, We'll pick it up with uh, Julie here in just a moment. All right. With this guy, Tyler uh, Sandoval... Yeah. so this paragraph and this is one of my favorite devices here too th- this uh, okay so this whole paragraph lacks context all yeah. right so th- this is an article here uh, this first one here uh, where th- we have quite a few quite a few assumptions in this one. So this entire paragraph lacks context. So effectively uh, he the first date the process of the first date is alluded to but it's never fleshed out, like his actual... Like, what does he do for a first date, and why does he do it? It's actually never addressed in the article. No. So it never says. So there's this mysterious process for the first date, and we don't know what that process looks like. And we also don't know uh, Mr. Sandoval's motivations behind the first date. Now, we know that in the second date, that previously... He had uh, he, he had spent a lot of money, but then now he wasn't spending a lot of money. And so why would he spend a lot of money before and not spend a lot of money now? So in the article, does he say uh, it, it, does he say explicitly that it is because of uh, inflation?
2: Nope. Nope. Just, just says he doesn't want to make a huge investment in someone that he didn't know would want to make a huge
1: investment in him. Right. So there could be any number of reasons that he does what he does. A plethora. Yep. And a journalist has every incentive to leave out context when it fits their own narrative. So what I would do is I would challenge the uh, the person in this article. I, w- I would challenge a person who was using this article. I would look at it, and I would challenge them to say, hey, you know, we don't really have a lot of great context in this article. So if you want to use this as an anecdotal example, then that's fine. But you can't look at this and say that this is this is a, a, a hard, cold fact because it's being presented as one, but it's yeah. not. Right. All right. Pick it up with Julie. Yep. Let's go, Julie.
2: All righty. Los Angeles based dating coach Julie Spira says rom coms.
1: That's your favorite, right, Tom? Oh, all the time. I, I, was, <laughs> I was watching one uh, I was watching one before it came over, right? Oh, you weren't. You isn't that the. No, that's. Uh, <laughs> no, I was. Uh, isn't that what fight, the fight Club's one of those days, isn't huh? it? Get out of here. You
2: still right. ain't watched that.
1: <laughs> so, no, I, so, so I think it's a rom com.
2: <laughs> oh, boy. Well, go watch it and find out. So, rom coms. They, they taught people to shower a love interest with elaborate gifts, food, and wine to signal their interest. Now. She says that kind of movie is more likely to signal that you're out of touch with today's economic concerns. Her clients increasingly opt for more casual dates to cut costs and to show their sense of fiscal responsibility to a potential partner, she says. It used to be taboo to talk about money. Now you need to have these conversations, she says. It's overwhelming when somebody you barely know love bombs you, she says, referring to those kind of grand gestures.
1: So this Julie, was her name? Julie Spira, is that what it is? Uh, Yeah. All right, so just Miss Spira here. I mean, this paragraph drives me nuts. All right, so number one, everything in this paragraph is anecdotal. All right, so if you don't know what anecdotal means, anecdotal means that I heard this from a friend, okay? So this is – effectively, this is probably my – this is my least favorite part of social media. And, and if I'm going to give up social media one day and, and I'm going to throw my, my tablet against the wall and be done, this is going to be the reason why. It's because you can you can come out on social media and you can have, like, this elevated comment. I mean, you can have this inspiring comment, right? Like, you can say something that is so beautiful, so elevated. I mean you can have, I mean it'll bring tears to your eyes. I mean right you you read it and then your you you, your eyes start to well up and you're like man like this tweet is like creating like emotional resonance in you, right? And you can have this amazing thread and all that and the same thing. And then, you know, some some you know, some some jerk, some jerk John from somewhere off in in, 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 you know, truth or consequences somewhere, you know, comes along and says, Yeah, well, you know, my buddy did this and it didn't work out that way. So, yeah. Right. right. So everybody's got a friend, right? Everybody's got a friend. Everybody's got someone that they know that uh, doesn't fit the generalization. See, this is how it works, okay? You generalize. So that you can make a point, all right. If you're going to be talking about something that uh, involves a great number of people, you're never going to be able to make a point unless you generalize. People do it all the time,
2: and I've never met anybody in my life hates people generalizing
1: more than you. <laughs> well, man, no. I, I, I the thing is, is that okay? Is that I understand that people need to generalize, okay? Like, I generalize, but you generalize because you have to make a point. But what people do is people tr- people don't want people to generalize, and so they always use anecdotal evidence to say, they'll say, well, not all people are like that. See, when you generalize, you're including the outliers, all right? So when you, if you say, well, um, all dogs like to bark, right? When I say that, I am implicitly acknowledging that there is a small population of dogs that don't bark, and everybody knows it, and I shouldn't have to say it, and I don't have to listen to somebody come along and go, well, you know, my grandma Jones had a uh, had a dog that never barked, and so I don't know what you're talking about. And you say, oh, these dogs bark, because I clearly know there's one dog that doesn't bark. Like, yeah, 80-20 rule, right? 80% is going to be a generalized thing. You're always going to have outliers. <laughs> so anyhow, this is why anecdotal evidence never holds water, okay? So, I mean, and, and listen... It's People can feel the way they feel People can have the experiences that they have So a lot of times A lot of times when people will give anecdotal evidence You know I do acknowledge people I believe you You know like okay I believe you Right, and if you say it happened, then it happened. That's great. Yeah,
2: just so they'll go away.
1: Well, get, but no, I mean, I guess you want to make sure you know, people you know they believe you, but that's not the point of what you're trying to do. When you're trying to general, when you're trying to make a point about something, you generalize. You you have to generalize in order to make the point and move it forward, especially when you're talking about people, the social sciences, and such. Mm. So I'll the uh, so anyways, this is anecdotal evidence, and also too, uh, she also talks about uh, frugality. And love bombing. And so this is a I, – I do want to point out um, there's a lot of urban versus rural here because she is a consultant in L.A. And the Wall Street Journal is uh, based out of – I think it's, it's based out of New York. That's
2: where Wall Street's based out All of. Right, yeah, so it would be – okay, so it would be based
1: out of New York. <laughs> <laughs> it's
2: a long day over here right, in yeah, the studio. There stadium. you go. That's right.
1: That's right. That's right. Is that San Francisco that San Francisco Chronicle? Is that based out of LA? I think it's I think it's out of California. Right. I think so. Is that based out of Phoenix, right? Yeah. That's right. So the um so in New York, so we're talking LA and New York, this is urban versus rural. So yeah. you're gonna have a lot of different behaviors and the population of LA, although I know it's big, is only so big. I mean it's not the whole nation, it's three hundred million people in the nation. So when you're talking about the way that this person experiences life,
2: did, Fine. did you just forget the other
1: 34 million people? The 34? Well, I always do 300 because,
2: you know, it's a nice even number. It's kind Why of like a, that. Because but I there's generalize. 34 million other people you just forgot about.
1: Well, I didn't forget about them. I just I intentionally <laughs> didn't include them because 300 <laughs> is a much better number than 334. You know, many people say Really? That thre, many Would people Would you rather have $334 million or $300 million? Many people say that $300 million can make you very happy. <laughs> Get out of here, Donald Trump. <laughs> Right, oh, right? Man. Some people. Yep. Some, <laughs> some some people, I'll tell right. you what. Some people. That's right. You got it. So those are some uh, generalization. Those are some uh, assumptions you can pull out of that article.
2: Yep. Yep. So moving on. The average date night. Oh, we have an actual figure here. Oh, boy. Costs $98 in the U.S., according to dating app Zusk. Okay, never mind. I thought it was reliable, but now it's not. Mm. Um, nearly half of single Gen Zers. And millennials have suggested or taken someone on a less expensive date due to inflation and the current economic environment, according to an 8,000-person survey conducted in August by dating app Plenty of Fish.
1: All right, so oh boy, yeah, oh boy. So here we go. All <laughs> We're right, lending so, credibility here. <laughs> yep, here we go. So this is the big one, okay? So uh, you need to learn about about uh, about um, Plenty of Fish. About Plenty of Fish, but you also need to learn about correlation and causation. Okay, just because two things correlate doesn't mean that one is caused by another. Uh, So effectively, you can get any survey to tell you anything you want about any subject at, at any time. And eight thousand people is not a huge sample size. I mean, not, not compared to three hundred million. No, three hundred thirty-four million. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, three hundred thirty-four million people. Well, you got eight thousand of those people. All right. So, uh, this other person that was uh, in LA doing the um, doing the, the dating consultation thing, like she, or if she did it for 15, 20 years, she may run eight thousand people herself, and that's only one city. Yeah. So uh, you're really not you're really not looking at at, uh, a a situation where, you know, you're looking at a direct choralization.
2: All right. So Natanya Malin Gazak. I'm not going to give that another shot. She's 35 anyway. Now almost exclusively goes on walks for first dates. After a string of bad matches, she decided to incorporate dating into an activity that already brings her joy. Walking around Prospect Park in Brooklyn, New York. If it's not mu- if it's not a match, neither of us needs to feel resentful that we invested our time or our money and can instead feel glad that we got to take a walk in nature, says Mrs. Gazek, who runs a diversity, equity and inclusion consulting firm.
1: Yeah, man. You got it, right? Three letters. Come on, say it along with me. I don't want to say it. Come on, say it. uh, Say the thing. Say it. D-E-I. D-E-I, right? D-E-I. So this is my favorite paragraph in the whole I probably the whole podcast, actually, because this one here is, is great. So number one, it's anecdotal. Number two, it shares no direct. Relationship at all with the uh, tagline for the article, with what the article is actually about. I don't even know what the article is about anymore. All right, and number three, okay, <laughs> that's how bad it is, okay? And yeah. number three, and then number three is there's, it's there is a litany, okay, so if you're plugged into the culture thing, then there is a thousand reasons why this person can be having problems with her love life. And then a lot of it having nothing to do with with the state of the uh, the economy, and probably she runs a DEI business, she probably is, so she's probably like Kanye West. She probably like right down below Kanye. Are you making assumptions? I, I probably am, but I mean, I think this one's probably pretty good. I mean, I think this way, I think probably you know some a lot of people. Okay, so there's some people. Some people say this person is so rich that she's making Kanye sweat it out. Okay. Right? <laughs> i mean wow <laughs> i don't i already don't have anything in common with her who likes
2: walking around a park in brooklyn that just sounds dangerous
1: well you know i i suspect that she probably has you know been taken advantage of about a number of times and so she probably already dated most of the men she would like to get along Ooh, with and man the assumptions are flying around in the studio i know probably been hit by a few of them Wow, uh, probably so <laughs>
2: i know golly can i move on to the next paragraph or, we, or is that your favorites you want to stay on it for a while
1: No, no, please continue. Okay, here
2: we go. Those who had been pre-screening their matches with a phone or video chat to get an initial read on a possible date are now using the same strategy as a money-saving tactic. Daniela Lerma, 29, sometimes has extensive text conversations with her dating app matches before meeting up in real life. The Queens, New York client services specialist had some conversations that went on for so long before actually going on a date that she jokingly asked if they would just be pen pals forever. Inflation is also provoking more people to question norms around who picks up the tab, says Christy Kadirian, a relationship psychologist based in Pasadena, California. Despite growing comfort with discussing gender roles in heterosexual relationships, Dr. Kadirian (laughs) says many women still expect a man to pay for a first date.
1: Yeah, so... This, uh, this first part here is the, the woman who says that she texts back and forth and she wants to be pen pals. Yep. So there's, we don't know what came first, the chicken and the egg. Like We don't know if, if she wants to be pen pals because of inflation or if the inflation just gives her an opportunity to do what she would rather do to begin with. Yep. So we don't really know that. And so, uh, th- therefore, there's no direct correlation between what's written and what the article is about. And then we have the, uh, the, the psychologist who is going to bring about a legitimate point Saying that, uh, hey, intersexual dynamics plays a part in this, uh, uh, but notice that just like some people say, right? She doesn't quantify it, so it could be that, or it could be, you know, it could yeah. be monkeypox, or it could be a bag of popcorn, or anything else. It doesn't matter, right? So let's see, uh, see where we go from here.
2: So says Rachel Horowitz, who dates men and women usually splits the bill or picks up the tab when she's on a date with another woman. But when she's meeting up with a man for the first time, she believes it's polite for him to offer to pay. I'm a modern woman. I'm a feminist. But I believe at least the first date, The 24-year-old Chicago entertainment, entertainment marketer says. More of her dates have been asking to split in recent months, she says. And a few months ago, she experienced a first when she woke up to a text requesting her half of the bill from a man who had made a big show of waving her credit card away The night before, the text read, Hey, BB, what's your Venmo? I need that dollar bad. Ending with a worried-looking emoji. That was when she realized that economic concerns had changed modern dating customs. She says she was put off by the message, but thought to herself, I know you're laughing over there. I am too. I'm trying to make it through this. (laughs) But thought to herself, I guess if you really need that dollar that bad, I'll give it to you. She paid him about 40 bucks via Venmo. There was no second date. In New Orleans, Karsten (laughs) Numister had been going on fewer dates to save money. It's riskier now, says the environmental content editor. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) 27 years old?
1: You work really hard, Steve. You'll
2: get there one day. (sighs) You feel a little more discouraged when a date doesn't go well, and it's also expensive. It adds a little more salt to the wound. He's still inclined to pick up the bill on a first date, but says he'll often choose a cheaper spot than before and is more likely to suggest his date gets the next one. If someone doesn't respect that, I don't think it's someone I would like to see again, he says. Mr. Sandoval in Boston says inflation has coincided nicely with his growing belief that picking up the tab sets up an uneven power dynamic that could carry over into a future relationship. He says he can only think of one recent date where they didn't split and his date didn't offer her card. That felt weird to me, he says. It wasn't worth making a stink over.
1: Thankfully, the article is over. Yeah, I know. My what mercy. What in the world? So that whole section, okay, is very illustrative, and it really reveals the uh, p- p- the motivations behind the writer. Uh, so what you want to do is start off with... Um, the introduction part, uh, and she says with the psychologist that the author uses the phrase changing relationship standards, right, or changing dynamic. So what, I, I Maybe I can't quote it. What is the quote?
2: So I think it's inflation is also provoking more people to question norms around who picks up the tab.
1: Right, and so that's really important because she says changing norms, and then afterwards, this is where we get... Uh, for example, we get the, uh, the the bisexual person, yeah, who yeah. Uh, who so the person. So first of all, we go from we go from a, a fairly normal person, and then we go changing norms. First thing we see is someone that sleeps with both men and women, yeah, and then we see the frame, right? The frame is set. Uh, excuse me, uh, the power dynamic is set. So now we're no longer into uh, objective standards. Now we're into power dynamics because for her being a bisexual woman. Uh, it would be uh, her on the intersexual di- on the intersexual uh, ladder would be higher than, uh, say, for example, a heterosexual person. So, since she's a woman, then for her to date a man would be a more of a would be a lesser action than it would be for her to date a woman. So, for her to date a woman would be higher on the on the uh, inter the scale of interdynamic on
2: power dynamic, yeah, 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 power because, dynamic, yeah, because now a woman with a man society thinks that that woman's being um like subservient or whatever to the man you know
1: so you know this is what i said before right so for example who sets the uh who sets the exception so if you are a conservative and then you're going to make fun say we're going to make make fun of it then you just have to go oh you know what Punch right. You have to go, oh, it's okay for a woman to date a woman. And then you turn around and then you have to acknowledge to the left. Like, oh, okay, you know, like I've said what I've said. I apologized, right? And so that's always what they want. So um, so what you do is you would attack the assumption here. So you'd say, okay, well, um, you know, the first assumption here would be that this woman has two kind of relationships. One is appropriate and natural and the other one is not. And so you would. I, what I would do is I would make an appeal to nature. And so I would say, okay, well, you know, and see if the person would uh, would go there. I'd appeal to nature. Okay, so uh, nature, biology, we can see whether you know. I personally feel it's God, but maybe you feel like it's 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 biology, and whatever whichever one whichever one you go with, yeah. you would make an appeal to nature that biology clearly states that men and women are are sexually compatible and that men and men and women and women are not and so this is an abnormal relationship and so therefore I would question the assumption. the assumption would be that a uh, would be that a, a, a female and female relationship would be uh, a form of legitimacy and even a higher form of legitimacy she even she leaves
2: out or, or she leaves open I should say a, a door here because you know she said I believe on the first date, that you know, at least the at least on the first date, the man should pay, right? You know, well, where does where does that come from? Where does that tradition come from? How come you have, how come you hold to that? Sure. Oh, that probably leads down a road that they are going to lose, going all the way down that road. Mm. Yeah, uh, that would be something I would go after. Yeah, so I like. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's what I don't get. Like, why do you think it's okay for the guy to pay on the first date? You know, and and right before you say that, I'm a modern woman. I'm a feminist, right? Like, how do you lead with that and then go straight into being like, but the guy should pay? I think on the first date.
1: Well, it's the it's it's the it's the virtue signal. Because you always got to remember, like, the left looks at the right as fundamentally flawed, almost like sin, okay? So, like, the right looks at the left literally as sin. So they'll look—so a Christian say, say if you're a believer and you're on the right, and then you look on the left and you say, okay, well, I see a homosexual relationship. You said that is a sinful relationship. You're, you're saying it's sin. Well, the left does the same thing to the right. They just don't use an explicit language like we do. So they'll look out and they'll say, well, you know, Steve, the thing is, is, you know, you were raised in the uh, the— particular school system and so that school system didn't give you a chance to get to where you need to be so you know you're really a victim you know and so you're you know and so they'll say you know they don't they, they, they don't there's no reality where they'll look at you and they'll say well you know you probably you probably know best about how to make decisions about your own life Right, like yeah. your like decisions you make are the best for you and your family, and and that's an assumption. No, they're right, gonna say right. they're gonna say you're their victim, or if you're not a victim, then you have sinned in some way. You know, this is the whole capitalism argument. You know, to say that uh, you know people in Texas are evil, you know, or what have you. They can't say right. why, but they just know that they have to be because they act a certain way, and so they say, well, if these were good people, they wouldn't act that way. Yeah, you know, stereotypes run yeah. pretty deep. And so you have here at the end of the article is really thick in this stuff. They talk about power dynamics and they talk about changing norms. And so all sorts of language at the end of this article where she's framing all these changes as... And when you read the article, it really comes off as... Well, the world is changing and you know these things are also changing and so it's a lot of confusion and so everyone's going to have to really pay attention and really focus and here's where we want to keep our focus on. It's going to be on DEI, which was mentioned in the article. It's going to be on changing norms, which was mentioned in the article. It's going to be on power dynamics, which was named in the article. It's going to be on a scale that's a subjective scale because we got we got pale of fish, we got many and some. Uh, you know, we got stories, and remember, stories are for females. Numbers and charts are for men. So we have stories everywhere. So this is uh, uh, aimed towards a, a female reader. So there's all sorts of of, of, um, of alarms going off here, and there's all sorts of assumptions in this article. Uh, so this is one you can fairly you can tear apart fairly easily, and we have a second article. Uh, which is, I think, probably a more interesting one. But uh, this one is a little bit better. I'm going to kind of give away the ghost here. This one is not nearly as bad. It's from the New York Times, and I, I don't nec- I don't march in step with everything that's said in this article. But I will give the uh, author of the article credit in that they wrote an article that you can read from different perspectives, and you're not going to have you're not going to be tre- You're not going to have your uh, your your assumptions stomped on or challenged. All right. Yeah, this one's from the New York Times. They're
2: based out of New York. Um, Wait, are you sure? (laughs) Wait, I was thinking, I think think they're
1: based out of Seattle. I don't know if you were too tired to catch that. (laughs) That's right. Vancouver, I think.
2: So, why are middle-aged men missing from the labor market? Mm -hmm. And it says, for the past five months, Paul Rizzo, 38, has been delivering food and groceries through the DoorDash app but he spent the first half of 2022 earning no paycheck at all reflecting a surprising trend among middle-aged men after learning that after learning last christmas that his job as an analyst at a hospital company was being automated mr rizzo chose to stay at home to care for his two young sons his wife wanted to go back to work and he was discouraged in his own career after more than a decade of
1: corporate tumult and repeated disappointment. That's the first assumption. So we have the first assumption is in that first paragraph. And this this is a pretty solid article. So it's not like we have assumptions jumping out at us, but I did I did notice that one section at the beginning, the wife wanted. Yeah. Right? Pretty subjective there, okay? So the wife wanted I mean, cuz you could easily say the wife wanted to go back to work. Why? Because she's a workaholic because she hates being a mom or because the family needed money and she had to or because she didn't want to be in poverty or because she had to pay the bills. There's a whole host of different reasons. Well, we don't know her motives, I guess. No, we don't, and that's the thing. And so for me as a reader, when I see that, you have to train your mind, okay? You have to train your mind to this Oh, stuff. this
2: goes right back to the Christian Mind book in, over in Blunderground Railroad.
1: Boy, doesn't it, man? We are having a time with that. I mean, that is like being – it is like throwing haymakers. The last the
2: article spoke to it, too. I, I, f- I forgot to mention it, but I, I was thinking it.
1: Well, tell me more.
2: The last article? um, When we got to talking about the the woman that's bisexual, like nobody says anything anymore. And I just, I w- went to the Christian mind because we were talking about how like, I think it was in part two, chapter two, where he, he says, you know, Christians aren't calling this out anymore. The church in itself is just kind of accepting it and just taking it and lying down. Right. And if we don't start thinking Christianly, we are going to lose any chance of, you know, having a middle ground where we can even speak to these people. I think I think uh, yeah. Meyer says um, that'll be their church's reward. Yeah. Will uh, we'll be the loss of those people.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and he does. It is a, he talks about indifference, remember? Yep. Yeah, indifference, and that you can't, I mean, and if you've ever, especially as a Christian, if you've ever experienced indifference from people, mm-hmm. it's hard, it's, it's difficult, you know?
2: Yeah, like, well.
1: Because you're, because you're, in one second you're talking to someone as a human being. See, it's always hard because Christianity becomes an identity, right? Like when you, so. Yeah, without realizing it, it does. Yeah, without realizing it, and, and th- it goes back to Carl Schmidt. see, about who sets the exception, right so what is the reality like what is reality i mean what is the basis of reality we're getting into a point in time where christians are going to have to begin to take a step back and start questioning the nature of reality because there's a lot of assumptions in terms of of uh of the the, of like uh, an assumption in terms of the relationship are relationships about happiness is that what relationships are about because, you know, you can, for example, when your grandparents were kids, they had to find someone in town to marry. They couldn't marry someone from the next state yeah there was no plenty of fish yeah there was no there was no plenty of fish right so you weren't texting forever right right and you you couldn't have that so um you had to marry someone from your town so if being married the ultimate goal of being married is to be happy then you have countless generations of people who had to settle for for less than than the best
2: maybe that's why they called them the settlers i don't
1: know well, here we go. It's that's our fourth podcast, Dad Jokes, it's with Tom late, man. and Steve.
2: Dad, oh, I knew,
1: you beat me to it. I knew you were going to say just, Dad I jokes. did. That's right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. It's not it's, bad for this hour. It's not. It's not bad. It's not bad, it's not bad it's pretty, for this hour. It's pretty good. Our seventh podcast. Right? But,
2: but, no, you're like, when when you were talking about the whole idea of reading these articles and tearing them apart is yeah. slowing down. Yeah. And that's something I try to talk about on my own podcast. Sure. Place, where I'm like, hey. Slow down. When you hear this word, when you see this word, your ears should perk up. Let yeah. your ears perk up a little bit. Nice. Go back and figure out what you're reading, who wrote it, what they're actually talking about, mm. and most importantly, what are the facts? What do you actually know? Do you actually know what that person is telling you? I mean, that's that's probably the, the biggest problem in America today, yeah. outside of the... the the, the lack of belief in, in God yeah. that we have is people just buy whatever they hear, hook, line, and sinker. The, the critical thinking is just gone. Right. It, out the window. Yeah. That ship sailed long time ago. Yeah. You know, so just trying to yell at people to say, hey, what are you actually reading?
1: Is this a factual article in here or is this—oh, no, New York Times, not Encyclopedia Britannica. Well, a lot of times people—see— uh, technology people's lives are already at a point where they get taken care of so a lot of times the information that enters into people's lives is actually not information that's necessary for their survival so it becomes more narrative narrative frame than anything else
2: that's a fancy way of saying people are lazy
1: Well, I mean, I just, like, for example, Kanye West, like, I don't need to know about Kanye West, right? So, but I do, and every, every once in a while it affects something that I say or do, but it, it shouldn't because I, I don't need to know anything about him in order to live, live my life. Okay. So whenever I hear something about him, it's just, I have to remember, like, this is a waste of time. Like, I don't need this information unless there's a purpose for the information. But it takes a Christian mind or a conscious mind to
2: push that out, and it takes yeah. training your mind to right. get there. Right, that's right exactly what the Christian Mind book is talking about. You're
1: right? Yeah, absolutely. Great stuff. Yeah, you can check that out right over on the uh, Blunderground Railroad, yep. where Tom and Steve go from ignorance to knowledge. You
2: can find us on Facebook too, just so you guys know. So it's easy. Alright, so it says, uh, moving on here, mm-hmm. he thought he might be able to earn enough income on his investments to pull it off financially. Mr. Rizzo's decision to step away from employment during his prime working years hints at one of the biggest surprises in today's job market. Hundreds of thousands of men in their late 30s and early 40s stopped working during the pandemic and have lingered on the labor market's sidelines since. While Mr. Rizzo has recently returned to earning money, many men his age seem to be staying out of the workforce altogether. They are an anomaly as employment rates have rebounded uh, more fully for women of the same age and for both younger and older men about 89.7% of men ages 35 to 44 were working or looking for work as of November down from 90.9% before the pandemic the group's employment rate showed signs of rebounding last month but has been usually depressed or unusually depressed I'm sorry on average over the past year the decline in labor force participation among middle-aged men has spanned racial groups but it has also Been most heavily concentrated among men who, like Mr. Rizzo, do not have a four year college degree. The pullback comes despite the fact that wages are rising and job openings are plentiful, including in fields like truck driving and construction, where college degrees are not required and men tend to dominate. Economists have not determined any single factor that is keeping men from returning to work. Instead, they attribute the trend, to a cocktail of changing social norms around parenthood and marriage, shifting opportunities and lingering scars of the 2008-2009 downturn, which cost many people in that age group jobs just as they were starting their careers.
1: All right. So, uh, yeah, uh, that's pretty good information there at the very end. I actually, I'm not going to pull it apart. I actually only found one small part in the the paragraph that I kind of, Kind of didn't like, and that was the part where it talked about the pullback comes despite. Uh, it talks about uh, it talks about travel. It talks about uh, uh, driving a truck yeah. or about working in construction. Right. So these job opportunities more often than not require either travel or specific skills. Yeah. And so there's no, um, we don't have the kind of information. You know, you can't quantify for all the guys. Like, let's take all the guys that don't have a job and all in this age bracket and look at their ability to either move, travel, or to have a specific skill.
2: And I, yeah. And one of the jobs she named right there, truck driving, I, I, and that gets mentioned so much. And that is um, the field in which, uh, in today's society, like and yeah. it's been, I think it's been this way for a long time. Sure, there is the most job openings available in any field of, of it's is truck driving by right. far. I there thought. is a huge need for that. There's a lot of people, and I'm included in this. Okay, yeah. If I wasn't retired, mm-hmm. I, I don't care. I'd lose my house before I did that. Right. The the problem right there with with that paragraph, she points out a job that she's assuming that. People would want to get into it in the first place. There you go,
1: perfect. Yep. You know, I couldn't agree more.
2: And I just gave you a hundred reasons why. I guarantee you, ninety percent of people won't even do it.
1: No, and and also, I, I this always gets me too. There's an unspoken political bent on it, and yeah. once you see it, you see it everywhere, and it's hard to see. But once you see, once you see it, man, yeah. so effectively oftentimes remember it's not always who's the president or who's in charge okay no, it's not there are times when the left is in charge and then they will get upset because they feel like the right controls the uh, the right controls uh, who is going to be the exception and then there are times when the Republicans then the, the right are, are in um, the uh, they're in the Senate they control the government but yet everyone feels that it's the left that controls that controls the exception so the political bent here is that the left, the left is looking at the right, and they're saying, if you're on the right, and you don't have a job, and there's a job available, you have a moral obligation to take that job. <laughs> All right? Now, that is only valid if the left applies it to itself. Right. Right? And so this goes back to—and you can—actually, there are leftist narratives on this because a journalists—like, jour- uh, at CNN, they just laid off a ton of people at CNN— Journalists all over the country are getting uh, are, are getting fired and a lot of these journalists are being told that they either need to go into solar power or they need to go into uh, computers and coding and a lot of them don't want to but they don't get the same flack that people on the right do. Well, if you're a middle-aged man and you uh, for example um, uh, for example this uh, this man in the article works for DoorDash yeah and you know as a middle-aged guy right yeah. He, he went from nothing. He says, okay, so he talks about, um, he's, and again, he's going to go back and he's going to talk about uh, uh, the divorce. But this guy in his 30s was divorced, lost everything, lost his career, lost all of his money, lost his wife, lost his family. Mm-hmm. And then he has to build that back up from nothing. And now he's doing DoorDash. And so the way that that's framed in the article has nothing to do with the individual. It is framed as, as... Johnny doesn't have a job, now Johnny works for DoorDash, America great. You know that's the narrative, and right. so you know the man gets lost in this narrative. Right. And yet, you know, I I seem to recall, you know, I got a lot of details about some of the uh, the, the, the 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 DEI owners, and you know, the the in the other article, right? You know, I get a lot more yeah. detail there. I, you know, about she's a yeah. she's a feminist. It's very vague she, here. She sleeps with men and women, and then the other person owns a company. And we the, got
2: we got right down to the text messages, what they actually said.
1: We did. That's right. Yeah, we did. We were talking about the text messages yeah, yeah i, I noticed some issues with the dating partner right there <laughs> right right well, there, like, there you
2: what? go text like that yeah so you but do anyway. have this
1: kind of unspoken political bent and that's something that you see a lot of times and so for me in re- reading an article like that i would want to stop the person and i would want to talk about the the, uh, the the leftist part of it and say hey you know like you're probably on the left so to say the person writing it to say do, are you aware of like i because I might say something like this. I might say, well, I don't I don't really inhibit that world, so are you aware of a lot of narratives? Do people talk about that a lot? Do people talk about what journalists are going to do? Do you know anybody who's struggling? Like, well, you know, this. And you try to get them to acknowledge. You want people to be on the same page, you know. You're going to be on the same page. You're working with the same presuppositions. Yeah. You don't want to just let people frame other people. You know, we're going to frame... The, uh, we're going to frame the conservatives as being uneducated and unwilling to take a job, and then we're going to uh, frame the leftist as being college-educated, enlightened, and deserving of a particular type of job.
2: Well, the second half of that article absolutely insinuated that there's a whole bunch of right-wing people out there that could have these jobs, but they're just sitting around in their duffs and they're not taking them. Right. The, the insinuations that the articles give off, that's that's the narrative Yeah. that the media drives. Yep,
1: yep. No, it's really true. It really is true. And how um, you notice too, when they talk about, for example, middle-aged men, uh, and that's another, not necessarily in these articles, we don't see it, but I've seen this in other articles and it does vary. Sometimes it's slight, sometimes it's more, but you always notice that men as a demographic, when they're presented as a demographic are always presented as a monolith. Oh, yeah. Right. They're always presented as a monolith. So it's always one group, middle aged men. Like, is Shiki there like a. Cutter club? people. Yeah. There's like a club that like, <laughs> you get, like, because I don't know, like, I'm, I'm a middle aged guy. So, like, do I get like a card and they get like a free donut every all You've been in long day? enough to have the gold membership, I think. I, man, maybe, you know, and I hope that I get two free donuts, you know, for to <laughs> get the card and I can go down to at the, every Friday and get two free donuts. <laughs> It'd be kind of nice. So men always exist as a monolith. And then women, they never do, you know, and so that, and that's that would be the modern like you always get accused of misogyny if you oh man if you talk about women as a monolith right like no women always need to be presented as individuals who make individual decisions but men it's fine if they're a monolith yeah right yeah there you yeah generalize about women see where that gets you right there you go all right well that is going to be our episode today we thank you for joining us uh we are talking about the boy crisis and we'll probably come back to this because this is a bigger deal uh and uh there's a lot going on here uh but um we will see you next time on notes from blunderground
0: i am a sick man i am a spiteful man i am an unattractive man i believe my liver is diseased i felt them positively swarming in me, these opposite elements. They drove me to convulsions and sickened me. I did not know how to become anything, neither spiteful nor kind, neither a hero nor an insect. Now I am living out my life in my corner, taunting myself with the spiteful and useless consolation Even if I had had magnanimity, I should only have had more suffering from the sense of its uselessness. It is only the fool who becomes anything. The whole principle falls into dust. Tom and Steve listen to the spirit of the age. All they hear is notes from Blunderground.